To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's going on, guys? Got a brand new podcast for you. So this week on the podcast, I have on my buddy Steve Evans. So I've had Steve on before. Steve is um fairly new to hunting, like in the last few years, and he's seen such great, consistent success just by the work he puts in. Um, he's all in. He's uh, all in on Western hunting, applies for different tags, draws different tags, and then makes the most out of them. Um, he's really willed himself into somebody being consistently successful in a short period of time. So I thought it was something that we could all learn from, just his um, steps and, and mindset and kind of what's created this consistent success out of thin air just the last handful of years. And so it made for a great conversation. We went over his hunts from last year, talked about those, and then just talked about some of these things that he's doing in the off season and during season, his mindset and things of that nature, being all in and going for it, uh, you know, just um, brings to light uh, how to become consistently successful. So a great vintage Eastman's Elevated podcast. I really enjoyed it. I think you guys will enjoy it too. Just want to thank a couple sponsors for the show. Uh, I want to thank Cryptech. Uh, Cryptech has put together the best technical mountaineering system for me that I've ever had. Uh, I'm really impressed by the quality and, and the performance of these different fabrics they have. Of course, they use their shoulder fabric for their rain gear, which is extremely waterproof and breathable, just great stuff. I've rode out some gnarly storms and that stuff. Uh, but basically, they have a kit for every season. So uh, the early season, I'm using their Sonoran shirt, their Sonoran pants. Uh, breathes really well. It's got a hood to cover up my ears and the back of my neck, and so I'm able to keep cool in these hot early season warm weather hunts all the way through September. They have such a great offering for elk season uh, with their... Uh, they have like a, a a heavier weight hoodie that works really well, um, a vest. Uh, they've got great pants. I love the fit of their pants. Uh, I use a lot of their... Um, let's see, what is it? It's the Valhalla pant. Um, it, it's just a, a, a great pant, great offering all the way through, all the way to late season. They have such great puffy gear, like their puffy pants and, and, uh, puffy jacket and the jacket is cut fairly low. So it covers like the, you know, covers like my butt and like the, the upper half of my legs, uh, for sitting. And it just tends to keep me warmer just with great insulating values too. So just great gear all the way from early season to late season, great camo patterns. Uh, that Obscura transitional is unreal. I look at that thing in photos. I talk to my buddies that try to glass me up on the hillside. This stuff just blends in in all these different Western habitats. I'm so impressed by it, and I think it gives me a real edge in Western hunting. Uh, so if you're in the market for any new gear, make sure to go check out Cryptech and what they offer. Uh, just great technical mountaineering gear. I also want to thank Savage. Savage builds the best out-of-the-box accuracy, accurate rifles uh, on the market. 
I'm so impressed by this. I I built up a rifle. It's been a couple years now. Uh, built up a rifle, and gosh, the thing just um, liked all loads I put through it, sighted in super quick, and I was shooting, uh, you know, groups at 300 yards. The first day out shooting this rifle, it's just unbelievable accuracy. Um, I'm, I'm so impressed by them, and they have so many different models uh, that'll shoot well or that you can find in your price range. Like one of our favorite uh, at the Eastman's office is the the Ultralights. Uh, they just build a great mountain rifle for under seven pounds. It's got an Accu stock, which you, which you can adjust the length of pole and also the comb height. So it's finding like a real comfortable shooting position that you can repeat shot after shot. They also have the Accu Trigger, which you can adjust the Accu Trigger. So it was common, you know, back when uh, 20 years ago, when I buy a rifle, I'd have to have the trigger work done by a gunsmith. Now Savage has done it where you can adjust your own trigger to be able to lighten it to find even better accuracy. So those come standard on their 110 Ultralight, which is one of their models. But they also have some budget rifles that are just... Uh, just shooters. They're going to pull them out of the box and they're going to shoot great groups and uh, going to be able to get them dialed in. So uh, you just don't need to build a custom rifle nowadays with some of these rifles that Savage is producing. So uh, if you're in the market for a new rifle, make sure to go check out Savage and everything they're doing for rifles. I also want to thank Mountain Tough. Mountain Tough is a new sponsor here on Eastman's Elevated, so I got access to their video library. They just have great workouts for heavy pack. Uh, they have workouts for the mountains, pre-workouts. They uh, also have a mental toughness uh, app that you can walk through or you walk through it on their app to help build mental toughness. So they got me access to this. Uh, I'm going to dive in and start getting some of these workouts so I can speak about these workouts and what they're doing, but they do such a great job at shaping mental toughness and preparing all of us for the mountains. And so, um, I'm really proud that these guys came on Eastman's elevated. I think it's a great fit and, uh, can't wait to do more with these guys. So I'm going to dive into these workouts, but they do have an app uh, you can be part of this app. You can do all these workouts with minimal weight out of your own house, which I really like. It's really convenient for me. Uh, I'm also going to go by their lab. So they have a lab in Bozeman. I'm going to go do a workout with these guys, uh, have them blow me up in there, uh, and uh, see see what I see what it's all about. See what these guys are about. I'm going to record a podcast with them, and so uh, really excited to get up there and do that. Looking towards doing that towards the end of the month. But if you guys are looking to get in shape for next season, if you guys are looking to add mental toughness, Mountain Tough is the perfect fit. Uh, so check these guys out and everything they're doing. I'm a huge fan. I also want to thank Black Ovis. Black Ovis is an internet retail shop that has ev absolutely everything you need for your upcoming hunts. Uh, so they carry all the top name brands. A bunch of our sponsors here you can shop through. They also have their own name brand, which is quality as well. I've seen like their sleeping bags, and then I always talk about Dylan and his puffy pants that are Black Ovis. Uh, they do really well. Uh, so they just have some great offerings in their own uh, their own name, uh, but they also carry all the top brands. And so they have a knowledgeable staff that are also hunters that can help you with these decisions or help break these down. If you give them a call, uh, they're they're more than willing to help you out to find the right gear that you need for your upcoming hunt. 
You can also save 10% on their website by putting in the code ELEVATED10, and that brings weight to the podcast as well, so thanks for doing that. Um, you can also check out Camo Fire. Camo Fire is an app with 80 new hunting deals every 24 hours. Uh, there's some great savings there on top name brands. Uh, comes up to bid. You're able to get it and get it at a huge discount. So check that out as well on Camo Fire. And over at Eastman's, we're working hard here. I just got a project for an upcoming article in Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal. We also have the Eastman's Hunting Journal. Uh, We do six issues a year of each of those magazines, so they alternate. Um, We have member stories in there. We also have uh, a staff stories in there. And, um, man, we just pour our heart and soul and try to share everything that helps make us successful in there. And so uh, the magazine has done really well for us. It just has such pertinent information to becoming a better Western hunter. So I'll be writing an article for that. You can check that out. Uh, Check out our mule deer course as well. We put a ton of work and effort into it. It's everything I've learned in 25 years of hunting mule deer across the West, how to travel and hunt mule deer, how to hunt them in different habitats, different elevations, different seasons. All of that is in there. Uh, Partnered with Guy Eastman and Dan Bacar for this thing. So I have a invested interest in it and uh, really proud how it came out and continuing to add to it right now. I believe there's over 100 videos that go in this mule deer course that kind of walks you through it. But I guarantee you'll cut your learning curve by years just within a couple weeks time of, of walking through these videos in this course. So uh, if you're into becoming a better mule deer, make sure to check out Eastman's mule deer course. Uh, also we're coming into tag season. Make sure to check out tag hub. It's our internet research tool. Uh, are beyond the grids. Uh, had a new video that dropped on there that was uh, late season or pre-rut, just coming into rut. Uh, a really fun hunt that I backpacked a couple different weekends into. It turned out really well. So make sure to go check that out. You can search us Eastman's Hunting TV on YouTube, and then we're also on the Outdoor Channel as well. Uh, we will be going to the expo. I was a little confused on my dates. I thought the expo was in January. I'd looked up the ATA by accident. But uh, we will be going to the expo in February, be recording podcasts there, and um, be able to meet up with some of you guys there. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to that and getting together with the Eastman. So uh, starting to get ready to head to the expo. So come and say hi to us there. And with that, let's get into this podcast. So Steve Evans. Um, man, he's just willed himself to be consistently successful and has some great insight into doing so in today's day and age. I'm your host, Brian Barney, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Yeah, man. Um, yes. Yeah. Pushing hard, trying to get into this new house. Yeah. I've been listening to your last few podcasts. Sounds like you're crazy busy, dude. Ah, man. Um, yeah, I have been crazy busy. It's good getting a bunch done, and um, man, it's a good move for me and my family. Like we're so fortunate to be able to do this house. But yeah, I, every time I do one of these personal houses, I always say it's going to be different. Well, I'm going to keep my sanity, keep my quality of life, and then I get to the end and abandon all of it and just have to push really hard <laughs> to get it done. It's just um, it's hundreds, if not thousands, of man hours. So it's just like every waking moment have to be working on it. Well, yeah, it's like one of those projects you can't really like take a break from it or your mind won't settle anyways. Like if if you're there, you got to be working on it once you start it, I would assume. Dude, that's just it. Just for your mind. 
yeah yeah that's it so yeah i just gotta like focus my my mind around it and like that is my purpose right now you know and so get it done but i'm getting really close i'm closing in and it's turning out really good and so yeah man it'll be awesome i'm just looking forward to getting my regular life back you know like uh like uh, being able to train like a madman i mean right now like i'm still maintaining and i'm still getting some runs in but it's uh nowhere near what i'm usually doing you know yeah, it's just a like a transition of focus. It's not like you're doing any less work. It's just not like for your running and stuff. It's just for the house. Yeah, that's it. And usually I can manage like my work and family and hunting life and um, everything's kind of in balance and in sync and like doing one of these personal houses or just taking all the work that I've taken through Barney Construction. It was like a like good timing in the housing market and trying to like capitalize and build wealth, not just wages. And I have this opportunity, like 20 years of building this reputation at Barney Construction where, you know, I got this chance at really good projects and homes and it's just a matter if I can figure out the logistics and do it. So I knew I took on quite a bit, but man, I just like, I, I look so forward to finding balance in my life and just being able to manage it again. And I'm, I'm getting really close and like, like I say, a couple more months, I'll be in that thing, and it'll be a done deal, and um, you know, I can forget about all the all the work that went in or all the pain, anyways. But um, yeah, that's that's all. Is this gonna be your last one? You think, or are you gonna do it one more time? Um, you know, uh, it's my last one for right now. <laughs> I did. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't have any plans for the future. Like I. You know, I'm sure I'll get five, six years down the road and I'll forget about all the pain. And, you know, you get out of like a, yep. there isn't much money you can make tax free in this world. And building your own homes and living in them for two years is one of the ways to not pay tax on the money you make. And so it's like a great opportunity to get ahead. But, yeah, I have no plans to build another one right now. Uh, I'm just going to live in this one and be happy and uh, hunt my ass off and like really enjoy it. So I don't really have any plans to do another one but uh us as humans have this um this uh this memory loss or we forget like uh uh about the 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 pain we went through you know just a few years down the road i'll be looking at like um you know getting my family ahead again but i don't know man for right now this is the perfect home for me that's awesome dude yeah i know what you're talking about too you'll drive by and see like a perfect piece of property and then start thinking about putting a house on it yeah, like, well, I could make this much off of the one we just built. Oh, start the cycle all over again. That's for sure. Um, well, dude, thanks so much for like joining me on the podcast. How's everything with you? Dude, it's so good. Yeah, it really couldn't be better. Killing it, huh? So it's been. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a great year. Just year, uh, like hunting, and just year in general. So, yeah, definitely. I never thought things could just keep getting better, but they do. <laughs> Well, uh, you know, it's um, intentional, too. Like, you're working to better yourself and better your life. And, um, you know, you're, you're a young guy who's up and coming and has this work ethic and this determination, you know, both – um, you know, in the, the, the hunting world and in your personal life. So, I mean, it's no surprise to me that things keep getting better, but that's, that's what life's all about, man. It's trying to enjoy it along the way. Yeah, exactly. That's what I always just take little mental breaks about how awesome everything is. Even like when I'm hunting or when I'm home, they're both awesome. 
Um, being optimistic helps too, right? It's like we know we're going to come up against hard times or challenges, but having like this op- optimistic attitude of things are getting better, things are good, and like um, uh, really enjoying the life you're living, like that's part of the key is just like your perspective on things. Oh, definitely. I mean, two people could be in the same situation, and if someone thinks negatively and someone thinks positively, the the dude that's being positive is definitely going to come out ahead. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, and it's um, you know, it's 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 like a it's a, a fine edge sword, or it's like um, it's a thin line between um, uh, optimism and like uh. Uh, you know, also being based in reality too, you know, like, <laughs> like, uh, you know, you can't just be optimistic when everything's falling apart and burning around you. Like they, they coincide or they work with each other. You know, it's like, uh, uh, you do, you do have to work hard and build this better life for yourself. You do have to be optimistic, but you also can't be out of your own head either. Yeah. I'm, I'm like a optimistic realist (laughs) i'm very much a realist yeah Um, but yeah but you know when when you need to be optimistic or versus when it's not even like you're just lying to yourself two different things Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, there is a difference yeah. there for sure. Well, um, dude, I just wanted to get you on the podcast. Like, um, I'm so impressed, like what you've done the last few years, like you've really dedicated yourself to the craft of backcountry hunting and, um, man, both mule deer and elk and like really put your all into it. It's just been amazing to see what you've accomplished in the last few years of like just willing yourself into this place of being consistently successful. And so, like, man, I just wanted to get on and, like, share your journey and share your thoughts on it and changes you've made to your own life. And, like, um, you know, there's so many guys that are striving to be in a position like you are, being able to adventure hunt across the West, being able to be consistently successful on trophy critters, both mule deer and elk, and you've done it in such a short time. Um, what do you think your secret to success is? Oh, well, I appreciate it, for one. Um Thank you. And uh, I guess, I mean, pretty much just hunting a lot. That's the most important, um, being in the field as much as possible. Um, I, I think I learned that like really early on once I started hunting big game. Um, I was just, it was like super apparent that this is not easy. And if you want to get good at it, you got to spend a lot of time doing it. Um, there's nothing else that can really uh, get you ready for it. Like really no training things can make it easier physically, but nothing can make you learn it than being in the field and listening to like people that are way better than you at it. <laughs> so that's what I just, I guess, absorb a lot of information when I'm not hunting and then try to utilize it when I am hunting. Um, and then also just whatever I think I want to do for myself too, when you're out there, like if you think you should do it, just go do it. That's like, Man, I've killed a lot of animals just like, should I go over there? Yeah, I probably should. And then things just work out. Listen to your instincts, I guess. Oh, but. man. It's, um, yeah, that's great insight. Like, you couldn't give much better advice. Like, um, experience is the best teacher. And I think, like, it's the reason that I'm the bow hunter that I am is because I've spent so much time doing it. And there's, 
you know, it's it's not only it's not only hunting time. You know, it is it is the time in the off season that you're paying your dues towards season. And and like you said, like experience is the best teacher. Being out there and doing it. But I know, like I learned a lot from horn hunting, or I learn a lot from taking part in in bear seasons. You know, bear hunting, like those those skills uh, transpose. Uh, you know, to other big game animals. But man, I think you're right. It's like when you love something. It's just spending a lot of time doing it and then also being introspective, like being able to look at yourself and be able to look honestly and see where you can improve your game or how you can get better. And and, and like you said, like you, um, you, you can learn. There's so much great information out there and there's great hunters out there that we can all learn from. But it's you can't just listen to them and then you go out on one hunt and all of a sudden you're as good as they are like it doesn't work that way it is like retaining that information or being able to listen to it or read it or uh, watch it or however you you take in your content but it's being able to like then implement it into your own game plan like how can i use you know, like uh, uh, Corey Jacobson's calling. How can I use that in my elk hunting, even though I'm a spot and stock guy or whatever the case is? And like you're able to then implement these little things into your game plan to improve your overall skill set. And so, man, I mean, I think your your hunting growth has has just been um, exponential at this point. Like you've gained so much information so quick. Like you're taking advantage of all these resources. And then you're also spending so much time afield being able to apply it, you know, is really where you've, you've got a lot of your growth at. Yeah, a hundred percent. And basically just trying to absorb knowledge, but then also implement it. Like you said, you could hear anything, you could read anything, but you don't really know exactly what like they're saying until you go into the field and start testing it for yourself. Um, that's like the most important thing, but you can't just go. Well, I mean, obviously you can just go into the field and just start walking around and learning things. It's just going to take a really long time when you have so much knowledge from people that have already been doing it for 30 years or more. Um, that are willing to share it. Right. And all you have to do is listen. So podcasts are probably one of my favorites. And then, uh, books too. I read all like the, your normal books. Like shit. I don't know. I probably got four or five of them, mostly mule deer. Actually they're all mule deer. Um, I hunt mule deer for passion and elk as a hobby. That's right. Huh. That's my thing. I could get that twisted by looking at your Instagram. You killed a couple pretty nice bulls this year. <laughs> yeah, I did. It was it was fun, dude. Don't get me wrong, but uh, I still love mule deer. I mean, I and I killed those bulls in the rut. It was it was a blast. But then when I climb a mountain and just find a big old gray mule deer, I don't know. There's just something something different about it. Yeah, but I definitely um, love them both. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, no, I love them both for sure. Uh, but I, I am a, a muley guy as well. Like I love hunting those muleys. I mean, I'm whatever they'll let me chase with my bow and arrow. I'm a pretty happy man. But um, uh, dude, you're like, there's this information out there, but you, you like, I, I put a bunch of information out there, but it's the guys like you that take that information and implement it that that see this success. Like I can put it out and a hundred people can listen to it. But maybe only five people see success or see growth from it. Like it, 
it's not only like taking in the information, you know, it's it's taking in like just like we're talking about and implementing it. Um, but it's really taking it to heart and believing in it, like hearing something go, man, I think that'll work. I think I'll implement that in my game plan in this mule deer hunt coming up, you know. And so, you know, as as much as learning as you do, like taking in this information, um, it, it is like you have to want to go use it. You have to want to go apply it and you have to put in the hard work, too. It's it's like it's. It's one thing to, to get all this information, but just like you stated in, in the, the beginning statement about uh, how you make the tough choices, uh, like, like you have to put in this effort, put in the miles, uh, put in the scouting, put in the work with your rifle and with your bow, uh, be in great physical shape. And then on a hunt, like you have to be able to push. So it's like you can... There's all this information out there. It's the guys that really want to use it and implement it and really have this passion for the game and passion for improvement. And, and it's not everybody, you know. It's it's the top 1% or 3% or 5% or whatever it is that really implement this and take it to heart like you have. Oh, yeah, dude. It's, it's so much work. I mean, yeah, I'm not even going to try to hide that at all. It's a ton of work. I <laughs> shoot all the time. I shoot my bow all the time. I go to the gym every day. I scout um, all all preseason. Uh, um, yeah, I don't want to like try to beat around that bush. It's a ton of work just to be try to to try to be consistently successful. Yeah, you're putting but everything me, into it, right? Like you're put like you're the discipline, the dedication, the the hard work, the the blood, the sweat, the tears. Like you're putting that into this game to be able to see the success. It's not like you're just taking this information and running with it and all of a sudden you're killing all these giant animals. Like man, you have put in the work. Yeah, exactly. It's just it's a combination of a lot of things and most of it's effort. Um I think just if you just consistently put in effort with even less knowledge, you're still going to be really successful. Um, and then you just take a little bit of knowledge from other people and add it in there. And it's, dude, it's just been a recipe for success for, for me. Um, it's been awesome. Just pretty much. I mean, most of the things I do have already been proven by other people and I just believe in them and do them for myself. And they, you know, they're obviously work. Um, just find some people that are consistently successful and ask them what they're, what's up, or just listen to them, you know, if they're already telling people. Like, um, I was telling you, I mean, legitimately, probably the only reason I killed those bulls this year is because, like, on five or six podcasts with that you had with other dudes that killed consistently is it's like, don't call it out. Like it's just just stock in on them if you get the chance, and it made so much sense to me because it's like because I have also called at them, and like as soon as you call, it's either happening or it's not. Like as soon as you blow that call, most of the time, um, where if you're just stalking, you're always in it, and it's just uh, like it's just a matter of time. To mess up, it's probably gonna happen. I found that out this year twice, you know. So that was just literally from listening to your podcast, basically, because if you try to absorb a bunch of, I guess, like, I'm not general information, but 
from I guess if you want to if you want to think that you have to call, all you're going to do is look at calling information, right? Where I'm looking at all the information, and it just made sense to me. I'm like, yeah, dude, these bulls have 20 cows. What? Like, why would they just come to me? Um, so I'm like, I would just. I went into the season knowing I wasn't going to call from the very beginning. Like it wasn't even an option. Um, and it worked out so well. So it's like, okay, I heard it and then I proved it to myself and now I know it works. That was just like one instance and they pretty much all of them happen like that. Dude. And, um, a couple just stellar bulls with your bow and arrow, dude. Um, so cool to see, man. Uh, that great big five. I, I think you killed that last year, right? Yeah, I killed. Uh, well, this year. Yeah, that was this yeah. year. Yeah, um, this year. I killed year. two bulls. Uh, but I kill them like f- fifteen days apart. I killed one on opening day of one season, and one on the last day of the other season. Dude, amazing. Um, yeah, he was he was a stud five by five. I took some videos of him when I was like a hundred yards away from him, and they're they're pretty cool. And then, um, yeah, that one that was in New Mexico. Um, so yeah, all my tags were draw tags um, for elk. Yeah, so I drew two pretty legit tags, dude. Just I mean, luck of the draw. One in New Mexico and one in Utah. So Utah was actually a limited entry, and I drew it on the random with two points. Um, and that's like a 20 point tag. So I hunted that one intentionally for like eight days. I'm like, I'm going to live this tag up. I didn't even chase a bull for five days, I think for Utah, but then New Mexico was kind of like a decently tough unit. Um, still hard to draw like they all are. But, um, so that one I was coming out just to kill a, a decent bull. Um, that was that big five by five was in New Mexico. Yeah, well, you get some good luck, too, drawing those tags. That always helps, but you can't draw unless you have your name in the hat. And so you got to start to play these Western states and um, try to end up with some decent tags. And yet, like, uh, you just, all of us, we just get lucky here or there and have to make the best of it. But, um, dude, that's amazing. That makes me feel really good that you've been able to implement that skill set of being able to spot and stock elk with a bow. Like, I... I put that that information out there because I believe in it wholeheartedly, and it's helped me kill a bunch of big herd bulls, and I get this crazy good experience hunting elk in the rut. But I think um, there's so many guys that enjoy calling, and, and calling is a great way to kill elk. There's more elk killed by calls than any other method. But I just find that, that you know I'm able to target bigger herd bulls. I'm able to keep the element of surprise, and it's something that I've honed the last 20 years when I first started spotting and stalking elk there was a a lot of failure in there you know I had to learn a lot about spotting and stalking elk and what works and what doesn't and um you know what I have to uh what I have to get in my favor to be able to be successful and then also be able to accept the defeat that know that not every bull I stalk I'm gonna kill just try to keep myself in the game keep playing the game keep the element of surprise and then, like you said, it's amazing how much comes together. So it like means the world that you've been able to implement that skill set, and it's worked for you. And I see it in my buddies too, as I've transitioned. You know, every last one of them, the guys that I hunt with, that are into spot and stock elk hunting now. You know that it just flat out works, and it it um 
it's you know even new guys I meet I tell them kind of my system or how I go about it they implement it in their game plan and all of a sudden see success doing it and so yeah I think it's like such a such a great way to go but I do think that a lot of people don't want to listen to it like you were saying like they if you call elk you listen to information on calling elk and when you hear information that goes against calling elk all of a sudden you don't retain that information or don't want to listen to it and so you know i find sometimes when i give elk talks or elk speeches and i talk about you know spotting and stalking elk like i do feel like there's guys that just tune out but there again you know back to the beginning of our conversation you know there's five percent or ten percent of guys that will actually implement the information that i put out and then be successful with it and um i think it's that same thing with spotting and stalking elk i think it's uh, highly successful. I, I think it's a great way to target herd bulls, and you still get the excitement of hunting elk. Like people think, because they're not interacting with calls or not calling back and forth, that they're not going to get that adrenaline rush or that same experience hunting elk during the rut. And to me, it's just as good or better. Like I had a night this year where I heard, you know, 300 bugles, two big herd bulls sorting things out. And I played the game for three hours trying to get into range. It was one of the most epic nights of elk hunting that I had all season. Um, you know, and that was just keeping quiet and keeping the, the calls out of my mouth or keeping them in my truck and just playing that spot and stock game. So it is highly successful. So I'm glad you've been able to implement that and use it. Like how did it go down on your elk spotting and stocking those? So, uh, you're talking about having the rut action without calling, dude. I mean, when I killed my bull in Utah, you could not have had like a more awesome rut interaction. It was I can't, it's hard to even explain. I killed my bull screaming a bugle like over the top of my head at another bull. That's how I killed him. So it was pretty, it doesn't get any better than that to me. No. Um, but the first thing I thought about was your plan has to revolve around like what you're going to do. So my plan was not to call elk. So my whole, uh, like plan for my hunt was glassing, right? So like, Right off the bat, you better not be in dark timber. <laughs> like So you're going to have to pick some areas that you can see if you don't want to glass. Um, that's just something that's important. Like, don't, you know, your plan has to revolve around what you want to do. So Makes I picked areas that I could glass, right, first and foremost, even though I knew that there was a pile of elk living in the timber too. Um, but I was like, there, there's got to be elk living out in the junipers. Um, so... There was like a kind of like a big juniper flat that just had like a couple of 300 foot like drainages, you know, that kind of split it into a bunch of fingers. Um, and so there was like a, a pretty main road up at the top of this flat. Um, and the flat was about like two and a half miles long with no way to access the bottom of it. Right. So I'm like thinking and then at the bottom of it is like a a deep, deep drainage with like a rim, right? So I'm like, I doubt many people are coming all the way to the bottom of this drainage from that main road. And I was like, and I can see it all if I get up on that rim rock and it like, cause all the, the terrain will lay out in front of me cause it's slightly going uphill away from me. And, um, and I was like, I bet everyone just comes in from that road. Dude, sure enough, it's like a, like a two and a half mile hike to get to this rim rock spot because there's no road, right? So I hike it in the morning and I'm sitting up there at dark and I just see headlights 
coming from the road, right? Nobody's where I'm at. And there's just at least five or six headlights working out into this juniper flat. And, um, dude, sure enough, the bottom of that flat where I was at was just loaded with elk. Uh, oh, not, not loaded, but I mean, I saw 19 bulls in three days because I was there early. So that, that's a lot of elk to me. <laughs> um, and, uh, so yeah, I mean, it was just perfect, dude. So I'm sitting up on this rim rock opening morning. Um, right away, I glass up a bull about halfway between me and that main road. So still, you know, a mile and a half from this main road, just, and people that are walking out in the junipers, they can't see what I can see, dude. They could walk right by these elk and they wouldn't even know it. Um, so I drop off my rim rock, go back across the drainage and I go over to where this elk was. And it was a big herd bull and two satellites and like eight cows. And, uh, and the satellites were in the back and they were working their way towards me when I dropped off the rim rock. Right. So, I like kind of skirt around because just for the wind and I start coming in at like a 90 degree angle to them and I pick up the two satellite bulls and they're kind of working their way down into this little drainage and I'm like, okay, sweet. So I'm at the back of the herd. I got the wind right and I was just going to slowly work my way behind them and then to where I could see the drainage and start picking it apart. Dude, I wrap behind those two bulls and at some point during like my, I don't know, 30 minute hike over there. The herd bull ended up in the back of the herd, right? It's hard to see in the junipers, right? So I wrap behind these two satellites, and then I'm kind of just waiting. There's no reason to rush into where they're at. So I'm just sitting by this juniper, and I just turn, and just out of the corner of my eye, dude, I got this 300-something-inch bull, like 95 yards, coming right at me straight downwind. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is excellent. Um, and he had two cows and they ended up winning me. I knew it was going to happen. So they blew out, but it, it just is what it is. Once you can't see and you don't have anyone helping you, you just got to do your best. Right. So they blow out. I go straight back over to that rim rock. These are like, it's like 500 feet down, 500 feet up where this big drainage is. And so I go right back over to my glassing spot on that rim rock and like, I don't see anything, but I can't see into all the cuts. Right. So it's getting like, two hours before dark and I got a two and a half mile hike back to the truck. So I'm like, well, I'm just going to work my way back to the truck and I actually glass into all these cuts, like all the drainages on the fingers. And, uh, the very first finger, which I'm only like 500 yards from being able to see these elk, but I couldn't see them because they were just tucked into that finger. So I move just enough where I can see into each drainage. And sure enough, dude, right there is a, that big five by he's actually a five by six, but he's, his, his six is like an inch long. Um, and he's there with like eight cows and, um, I had already scouted. So I kind of knew what these elk were doing down on those fingers, like right at the, right at the tip of the finger where it started to like plateau and then dive down into that deep drainage. They would be like on the, on the like West faces or the North faces. And then they would get up on that little plateau and just work their way around that finger. Um, and so I'm like, okay, cool. So, I make this big long stalk to get around in front of them, kind of assuming that they're going to work their way around this finger. And sure enough, I run right into them. And, uh, so I'm like a hundred yards from this bull and the cows. I took a, took a pretty good video of the bull just through my binos. And then I got to start working my way in and I'm like, I, so now I realize what happened is, so I have the sun at my back. So it's basically turning me black. Right. And, 
I'm like stalking behind a juniper, a really dense juniper. I could hardly see through it, but I could see one cow. Dude, she pinned me like I, I couldn't believe it, how thick that juniper was. And she pegged me. So the lone cow, well, not lone cow, but that single cow was the only one that saw me. And still, she just saw me, no smell. And it was just like slight movements behind this juniper. So she gets up. They don't really like spook that much, but they drop down the drainage and go up the other side, which is maybe like, I don't know, four or 500 yards as the crow flies. So I'm like, shit, dude. I mean, it's these drainages are only like 400 feet deep, but it's still a lot of work to just drop and gain 400 feet just, to, you know, consecutively. Um, so they bust out, they go to the next finger. I go like to the end of where I'm at, right? These are all like long finger ridges that are split by kind of deep drainages. So now I'm looking across the drainage at the next finger ridge and they just stopped right over there. Right. So I'm sitting there with my binos there. It's literally like 40 minutes before dark. And I'm just sitting there staring at this bull and these cows and my face is totally wide open. There's no cover on it. And they are on the next face, like where they just have basically an open view at me. And I remember sitting there like, there's no way. And then I was like, I was just telling myself, I'm like, am I not going over there because I'm tired or am I not going over there because there's no way it'll happen? And so I kind of, I just had a little pep talk with myself. Right. And I was like, I got to at least try. And um, so I told myself, if I make it across this wide open face without bumping them, then I'm going to run up that ridge just ahead of them and just see what happens. So, dude, sure enough, I'm talking a wide open face, just grass. These elk are like maybe 350, 450 yards away from me at this point. And I just walked down that slope as slow as I could, just keeping an eye on them. And, uh, dude, they never busted or anything. I don't know if they ever saw me or, I mean, I just know that you can move really slow and animals don't see you because I've done it a couple of times. And so I get down to the bottom and I never busted them. And so I haul ass up this hill, get out in front of them. And dude, here comes elk and they're just coming right into me, dude. And I'm dead silent, like by this little pine tree. And pretty soon I got cows. Dude, I mean, the wind must have just been so perfect. Um, is I had cows almost like 270 degrees around me, under 30 yards, right? And I'm like, where is this bull at? Like, that is a stressful situation. This, I'm like, this is going to blow up, dude. And um, so I had these cows just, I'm like surrounded by them almost and uh, at close, close range. And uh, pretty soon here comes the horns. And I'm like, thank God. Of course, he had the last cow. Um and uh, so here comes the bull. I get a I get a range on him behind a juniper. So he's passing from he's passing behind one juniper and he's gonna come through another juniper gap. So when he comes through that gap, I draw my bow. Or when his head was behind the first juniper, I draw my bow. I I know that I'm like this is gonna blow up, but it's the only way I'm gonna kill this bull. Or I'm already surrounded by my cows. I'm like it is what it is, right? So when I draw my my bow all you see is just cows like whip their heads up and just point their ears at me right and so but i'm not even focused on them so then the bull stops 
because all of like the alertness of the cows and he stops right behind another juniper so i'm at full draw cows like all around me and i just sidestep like five ten yards at full draw and just barely expose the backside of his shoulder not his head or anything just enough to get an arrow in and i smoked him totally surrounded by cows and everything dude and it was it was pretty badass so that's how new mexico went down that was opening day i blew a stock in the morning and i just kept hunting and then i killed that bull just before dark so epic like that's that's what elk hunting dreams are made of man um did so many things right on that hunt like um god your strategy and you know you talked about like effort and effort effort is the one thing we can control and when you constantly put in effort things come together but i see a lot of guys that put in a lot of effort that don't also like uh, uh evolve their 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 hunting skill set or evolve their their hunting knowledge and so like your strategy coming into this so like okay this is where guys are accessing this is my vantage point this is how i'm going to be able to see everything that these guys are diving into and they can't see anything because they're in the thick junipers calling at them but here i'm going to get on the vantage point i'm going to see everything that happens and and like your your knowledge around uh the elk behavior as well, like knowing how they're wrapping these points or knowing where they're bedding and where they're feeding and kind of how they're moving through this country from your scouting, like also came into play. And, um, you know, and there, you, you know, you, you talk about that effort of sitting on an open hillside and watching those elk and like you just gave yourself a chance. It was like you don't want to stalk recklessly and blow things up. But you also want to give yourself a chance, and elk are always moving, that by the time you get there, everything's going to change anyways. The bull's going to be in the back or be in the front, or they're going to continue to move or whatever the case. And so that's what a lot of elk hunting is, or all hunting for that matter, is just trying to give yourself a chance without blowing it up, you know? And so uh, moving slow down through the hillside, you know, it's... It's like um, six to one, half dozen to the other. Sometimes elk will catch you moving across that open, but you are a pretty good distance away. I don't know where the sun's at or what type of cover you have. And then moving slow, you just gave yourself a chance and you got down to the bottom and none of them picked you up or knew that you were there. You were still, you still had the element of surprise and then able to wrap around them and make things happen. And then it just seems like, um, you know, to kill elk, you just have to be in them. You just have to get into the mix of them. And even with the giant bull and a bunch of cows, it's it, like you just play it different than a muley stock. It's not as it's not as calculated or I mean, it is, but it isn't. It's like you almost just have to go get into elk and put yourself in range and then let your instincts guide you. Try not to get picked up by any of them, trying to draw your bow at the right moment, you know, and and sometimes there is this all in moment where you go to draw and the cows see you draw, but it isn't enough to blow them up and the bull's still there. And then able to slip behind that bush, not exposing yourself, your movement to that bull, but just getting over enough just to get that angle on that bull and send that arrow. And, you know, things can blow up too, but you kind of look at it as once you're inside range, like this is my chance, this is the only move I have to make, or this is the only way I'm going to kill this bull. Uh, Here I'm going to make this move. I'm all in. And it either works or it doesn't, you know. But, um, dude, it's magical to arrow a big public land bull like that. It's not easy, you know. And and, um, 
here you went and did it on um on on opening day just made the right moves you know all the way from start to finish you know treated the hunt right and able to rely upon your instincts and arrow just a great bolt man it um that's about as good as it gets and um that that feeling of accomplishment too is just amazing i mean that's what drives us right oh dude yeah it's it felt good to do like i felt like i did everything right you know like for once like it's like i guess i really didn't make a mistake on the like and it just worked perfect like that's kind of what i'm telling myself right like because i could have easily sat on that hill and just stared at him until dark and i could have just justified it in my head like there's no way i'd be able to get over there with this big open hillside it'll probably be dark by the time i get there like all that shit's running through my head while i'm sitting there you know but then you have to have the real talk with yourself like <laughs> like am i just being like negative right now right like i gotta at least go over there and so that's what i did and i mean just like that one instance talking myself into it or just anybody doing the same thing and then it paying off is going to just change how you pretty much do everything. You know, you know that you can make it happen, which that's already happened so many times since I started hunting. Like I knew I had to give myself a chance, like you said, but I still had to talk myself into it. I was still sitting there. I just blew my first stock. Right. So it's not like I was in the best headspace. <laughs> um, so it just, it just took a minute. Um, I mean, I guess I bet, you know, 75% to 90% of the animals that I've killed are from, they seem unrealistic, but then you just go give yourself a chance. Um, that's what pretty much got me addicted to hunting was that very first mule deer. And it was the same exact scenario. So, um, yeah, so then that was New Mexico. And then obviously my no calling spot in stock work. So I plan to do the same thing in Utah. And since I killed in New Mexico early, I was going to do them back to back. I was going to hunt. I think I planned for eight days in New Mexico and eight days in Utah. So um, since I killed early, I almost went to Utah because I was like, shit, you know, 15 days of hunting is better than eight. So, um, But I was like, no, because I was going to hit the rut in Utah where New Mexico is early as September 1st. So uh, I should say. I was gonna. They were gonna be bugling and stuff in Utah. I was planning anyways. New Mexico. I'd never heard of bugle. Um, it was just spot and stock glassing, no bugle chasing or anything. So I was like, no. Nah. So I came home, spent some time with my fiance and the girls, and um, I it felt so good. I'm like, I'm so glad I came home, relax for a couple days, then I can go to Utah and give it full effort for eight days instead of half ass effort for 15. That's like what my mind was telling me anyways right so i came back home just chill. i didn't i didn't go back to work i just kept my vacation how it was and i just chilled with my family and it was super nice so then i could go to utah just like with a clear head and like a fresh body right so i go to utah eight days early my buddy comes with me for the first four days super good dude i kind of felt bad because i kind of knew i was going into this hunt it's like almost a once in a lifetime tag i can't apply for seven years and it already takes 20 years to draw so i was like i'm in no rush to kill a bull on this hunt like not even slightly and so he came i'm i'm sure he thought we were going to be chasing elk every day and i was just glassing i was just looking at bulls um and so but i had a buddy there for the first four days 
we kind of learned this new country. Then we moved to another spot, found a really nice bull, and I put a stock on him. It didn't work out. And then my buddy went home, so then I was solo for the last four days. Um, so then I go check some other spots. I really just want to look at the unit. I already know where bulls are and stuff. I just want to see things while I'm there, just make the most of the hunt. So I'm just bouncing around to different roads, drainages. Um, so then I'm coming up on the last, I think, two days of the hunt. And um, I was like, I think my best bet is to pack in to where me and my buddy initially started the hunt. It, I could glass it really well. There was bulls in there. There was a ton of cows. That was the main thing. There was a ton of cows. And I'm like, there's got to be some bulls to just move in there. So <clears throat> I make the hike in. There's two days left of the season, I think. I think that's how it worked. And um, so I hike in in the morning. Uh, it's not even that far, two and a half, three miles or something. But I don't I don't like doing those morning hikes. So I like to just sleep back there. So, But I hike in in the morning. I dump my camp at the camp spot. And then just so my pack's lighter. And then I climb up to the glassing spot. I didn't set my camp up or anything. And I climb up to this glassing spot. And you can see a lot. And I don't hardly see anything, dude. And I look down in the bottom of this drainage, and it's so far away. I can't put – or so early, I could probably put horns on them if it was light. But I just see two bulls sparring, right? I can't see their horns. I can just tell it's two bulls fighting, right? And so I'm like, I keep glassing because that's all I see, two bulls fighting. And I can see a lot. I'm like, I don't see any of these cows or anything. So, you know, about 30 minutes go by, and I'm like – well, I know that there's two elk over there. So, and it's not like, I don't know. It's not country where like, you'll just happen into some elk. Like if you see two bulls, they're two miles away. They could be anywhere by the time you get there. But I'm like, well, I know there's two over there. So I drop way down into this uh, like ridge that runs above this drainage. I get like a mile from where I'm glassing. I'm halfway there. Dude, I start to get covered up and up. These things and all the aspens any little any little pocket i couldn't see from my glassing spot was full of elk right so i start working my way down this ridge and i'm covered in them and uh but what's nice is i'm on the ridge the wind's kind of doing some weird stuff but mostly coming uphill it's kind of stormy and um and i got elk on both sides of this finger ridge bulls bugling and i'm just on top just trying to assess like what's going on, what, like what I can do, what I can't do. Um, and so these two bulls are fighting below me, like a hundred yards. It's badass. I'm, I'm videoing it with my, with my phone and just watching them with my binoculars. And I mean, they're just going all out fighting, dude. And the one bull, he was a huge five by six. I mean, huge, like way bigger than the one I killed in New Mexico. And that was a big one. And, uh, so it's a five by six and a six by six. And they're just fighting right below me. I'm up on the ridge, just looking down in the bottom, watching them. And there's cows and everywhere. Right. And so that big five by six comes up out of the bottom and he leaves the six by six, which is the one I killed the six by six. So I killed the bull that lost to this five by six and he was still almost 330 inches. So this five by six was a stomper. So he comes up out of the bottom and he's walking in front of me at like uh, 78 yards and he's 
wide open hillside and I'm just watching him, dude. And he, but he won't stop walking. And that's kind of far, right? That's definitely on the outskirts of where I want to shoot. And, um, so I'm in no hurry to try to like stop. I didn't want to book cow call and stop him. Nothing. If, if he stopped, I would have assessed it, but he just kept walking and went right up to the ridge where I'm at. And then like he went around this little rock outcropping. So I went around the rock outcropping to meet him. I didn't know we had like 20 cows over there. Right. So I come head first into a herd of cows. And so it didn't really like blow up. It's elk. They don't really blow up when they see you or smell you. I don't know, man. These things just, I'm also a limited entry unit, right? It's a lot different than elk that are getting harassed all the time. But anyway, so I come into like 20 cows and they just, they don't like it. So they just kind of start walking down the, the ridge below me, but I, I know I'd never catch up to him. And if I tried, I'd really blow him out of the country. So I was like, okay, so that's that. Um, at least I didn't blow him all over the place. So I start working my way back up the finger ridge. Here comes another giant five by six, almost looks like the twin to the bull that I just went after, but there's no way it can be him. Cause it's only like a minute apart. And I was like, damn. So here comes this other bull bugling. He's pushing like eight cows. They're like 150 yards, but the cows are like in like just century on the ridge. So they don't have me pegged, but I can't move because they will peg me. Right. So I'm standing there a like pretty good five by five, like a shooter on most hunts, dude, this comes right in front of me, 50 yards, perfectly broadside and, and just standing there. And I'm like, I didn't go eight days to kill this bull. Like I did. I just didn't. So I let this bull walk by, take some pictures of him and stuff with my phone. I always try to just sneak my phone out. And uh, so I let this bull walk by, I, the smaller five by five, then the big five by six and his cows work over the spine ridge that I'm on and down into like the, the drainage. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to go over there and get better eyes on him. So I start working my way over there. I like these two bulls made me completely forget about this big six by six that was originally fighting in the bottoms. So I start working my way back to see where this bull went with like the eight cows. And I just hear a bugle rip from the bottom and I glass down to my left and my bull is down there in a wallow, just raking it and bugling and, uh, and by himself. So I'm like, this is a good opportunity right here. And, um, so I drop down from my ridgeline. I have just this solo bull in the bottom in a wallow and I get behind like this patch of pines. And so I can just kind of drop freely down this hill. I'm totally covered by this patch of pines. So I get down to the bottom and I'm trying to turn the bull up and, uh, I can't hardly find him. And I'm like, man, I'm, the wind felt good and everything. So I just started taking it really slow. And then sure enough, I turned him up bedded. He just walked like 10 yards from that wall and bedded down. And so like now we're really into the game, right? So I'm like 150 yards from, I got him bedded down. It's almost completely wide open. Just a couple of burned aspens. So I just block his face with like, I kind of like configure three aspens and I just block his head with the three aspens. And I just walk straight towards him in the wide open um and i got within range and i was like i mean i guess there's no reason to get any closer i mean I, who knows how close i could have gotten because i just i had his head blocked but the wind was weird and so i just got where i was comfortable and 
I stood there and I was like, I'm probably in for a pretty long sit here because he just got done fighting a bull, drinking water. And so I'm standing there uh, maybe like 10 minutes. I'm literally just in a wide open standing there and this bull's head's blocked by some aspens. I can see his whole body and everything, but I wasn't going to shoot him bedded down. Just It wasn't ideal. So I'm standing there. One of those big five by sixes come up on the spine ridge, like behind me from where I dropped down and they just randomly rip a bugle like over my head into the basin. So then the bull that I'm in range of, he stands up out of his bed. He's basically, he's broadside, but he's staring at me because he is bugling at the bull that's behind me now. Right. So they're bugling back and forth. It was awesome. And I'm still standing there just like with my hand on my release i haven't drawn or anything and um i'm just kind of watching just not moving he's literally staring like through me i'm in the wide open and uh then he starts raking his horns in the grass and that's when i took the opportunity to draw my bow back and um the whole time i was telling myself stay off the shoulder like because those lungs go so far back i don't even want to mess with that shoulder so like that's what i was telling myself throughout like the whole process and uh dude i smoked that bull right so come to full draw he's raking his horns now i'm at full draw and he just stops to look up at the other bull again but now i'm just going through my shot process he doesn't know i'm there he doesn't know anything so my shot breaks it hit him i mean perfectly where i was aiming since he doesn't know what's going on no clue he takes like 10 steps forward and just stands there um, I range him again. I go to dial my sight and, uh, he just starts tipping over and I'm like, no way, dude. And, uh, he, he dies right there. He went 10 yards and just fell over right in front of me. And I, that's only because he didn't know I was there. Like he didn't know what happened. I just, that arrow zipped right through him. He took a couple hops and then just stood there trying to figure out what's going on and just tipped over right in front of me on the, on the eighth day. So that was, I mean, that was cool, man. Oh, the best. That was a cool experience. That's what dreams are made yeah. of. Yeah, that's um, that's what we all hope for when we go on one of these adventure hunts. Um, man, and there's just nothing better for a hunter is like when you're just in them like that. Like for me, you know, I'll chase elk for, for eight days to get that one magical day or I'll chase them for 15 or 20 days just to see that one day of magic. And whether I kill or not uh is besides the point like it's um with all these animals and all this hunt like hunting like the funnest thing for me is being into them like like you were like that day like listening to you talk about it and the big five by six and fighting with the six by six and these other bulls and making moves and then all of a sudden you see the six by six down in the bottom down in the wallow drop down make a play on him there he is he bedded down you pick him up get the aspens in between and getting close like making those making those moves or that excitement and just wearing yourself ragged that day chasing around elk trying to trying to make the right moves and it's dude, it's never easy to to kill an animal and always seems tougher when we get there and especially with the bow and arrow when you have to get so close to him you know um but but that's the magic that's why we do it and once you get into them and have a day like that then you chase that day for the next year for the next hunt or whatever it is that that epic action to me there's just nothing better whether it's muleys whether it's elk when you get into them like that and you're making plays like 
that to me, like, I haven't found anything more thrilling in life than those epic hunting days like that. So, um, man, I mean, congratulations being able to close and on the eighth day of hunting and after you pass like a good five point, um, you know, you held out for a bull that really got you excited, that really made you happy and then able to close on that bull and put a perfect arrow into him. And there's nothing better than being able to make a perfect shot. When those bulls are so extremely tough that, you know, for me, you know, people say they're a big target and they are, their vitals are big, but it just takes a perfect shot to bring down a bull elk. They are such a tough animal. And so you did the right thing by aiming off the shoulder. I mean, that's what I do on elk, definitely on all animals. I try to stay away from that shoulder, but I aim four inches off that shoulder. So I'm aiming at the middle of the lung. So if I miss towards the shoulder, I still get it in the pocket and he dies. Or if I miss back, I still get the liver and still dies. Too many people try to put that arrow too close to that shoulder. And those elk shoulders are so tough that they'll stop an arrow. Uh, and that bull won't even know he's hit if you hit him in the shoulder. Uh, and sure, it can get yeah, through. Just, yeah. Man, those shoulders are say, tough. There's just no reason to shoot at them. Like the shoulders, there's so much vitals behind the shoulder. Yeah. So much. I mean, when I shoot my deer, I shoot them behind the shoulder, like just in the lungs like i don't try to break the front shoulder or get anything behind the front shoulder i try to just shoot them in the like yeah four inches behind the shoulder just i mean if you look at a picture it looks like almost like center body but i'm like that's just all lungs it's a huge target back there it is yeah well and aiming on that shoulder i know a lot of rifle guys like to bust that shoulder and drop them right there and I get it, but boy, if you miss just a little bit, a couple inches to the front of them, you can lose that deer or lose that elk or not get the vitals. And and even I've seen arrows go too far forward where you don't get them. And so, yeah, I mean, I like to aim back off that shoulder. I always have and, and always will, and especially with a with a bow and arrow because the, the shoulder is the no-no spot. Like, that's the spot you can't get through. Uh, and you won't kill that bull. So you just got to stay away from it. Give yourself some room for error when you're shooting at him. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then so prior to all these elk hunts, I was getting in shape for them by scouting mule deer here in California. And that's where, that's like probably my favorite hunt. Even though I had these epic hunts for archery elk, I had like, I killed my biggest deer here in California and I, from scouting them in July, and then I killed them opening day of rifle. So, like, I scouted this buck, figured out where he was, had to just leave him alone, do these super cool elk hunts. So, here's the other thing. So, I had to put off, I planned a mule deer hunt with my buddy, um, but I bumped it back a week once I drew the Utah tag. So, I did put, um, I did put elk first on this, on, on that Utah tag. So, I drew the Utah tag. I'm like, dude, I, I'm not going to draw this thing again. And I was, the other deer tag was just an over-the-counter deer tag. So my buddy was cool about it. I was like, dude, can we just bump that hunt back a week so I can chase these elk for as long as I can? And then so what that gave me by bumping that over-the-counter hunt back, that gave me opening day only in California, right? So I find this deer in July. He's big. Well, he's a 170 inch three by three. <laughs> so he was, he was solid. So I find him in July, scout him up a couple more times, do these elk hunts, come home. I don't know what I had. I don't know, six, eight days 
And so I was like, I got to at least go in there opening morning. I know would normally pack in there. Um, but all I had was opening day to hunt. And then I wasn't going to let my buddy down again on this out of state hunt. Right. So I'm like, it is what it is. I can chase this buck all of October. So I'm like, well, I'm going to go opening day. I had like a party to be to at noon. I had all kinds of stuff going on, but I was like, I got to at least go. So drive up there, sleep in my truck. And we're normally out hike in, pack in and just sleep right there. Right. So I'm just like, well, I might as well just sleep in my truck and do it in the morning. No, no need to carry all this stuff um, to pack in. I, if I'm only going to hunt per day. So sleep in my truck, it's like a two and a half hour hike. It's something like that with no weight now. Right. So just get up early opening morning, just fly down the trail, break off from the trail. And the only reason I killed this buck is because I went in there during archery season. I pretty much knew I wasn't going to be able to kill him with a bow where he was living, or at least not my skill set. Um, he was living like on a the wind, like leeward side of the hill. It's always a west wind. He's living on the east side. So like you got wind swirling over the top, super thick brush. Um, and you can only glass them from damn near a mile away, right? So I'm like, it's not a recipe for success with a bow. So my plan was to just hunt with a rifle, but I wanted to figure out where he was living during bow season with at least a weapon in my hand, right? I didn't want to just go into where he was at with nothing. So during bow season, I kind of just snuck around where I'd been seeing him, where I'd been glassing him. And while I was like standing where he had stood at one point, I saw this little rock outcropping across the drainage that wasn't obstructed by timber because it was all dark timber in the bottom. So I'm like, I'm pretty sure I was trying to figure out how I was going to kill him because it's so far away. And I was like, I'm pretty sure I could kill that buck from that little rock outcropping. Um, and I only saw it because I was up there with my bow just trying to assess things. And so I'd never even been to this thing. I didn't hike down there for archery. I just dropped the pin where I thought it was. And so opening morning of rifle, I'm just running down this rail trail to this pin that I dropped on this little rock opening. I get there at first light and I'm like, yeah, I can, I can see where he was living from right here. So I start glassing and then like the first five minutes I pick up six gray bodies up on top of this hill. And I'm like, I know those are all bucks. So I just, I can't even hardly see, dude. I can't see what these deer are. I can just see gray. And so I just start setting my stuff up, spotting scope, my gun get it all set up, basically just waiting for it to get light. And uh, sure enough, once it's light, I get my spotter out and I'm up there, I'm looking at those bucks and there's my target buck, man. Opening morning, exactly how I planned it. And the only reason it happened is because I went. <laughs> and uh, So, I mean, yeah, it was just, it was awesome. Dude. It killed him, just shot him across the little drainage there and uh, it all came together. I killed him. A hundred yards from where I found him in July, and I killed him September twenty something opening day. Scouting that paying was my dividends. Best buck. Yeah, and that was the second deer that I found in July and killed in rifle season. The other one was a thirty-inch California buck. So that was like that's my that's my big thing now. Early season scouting. Yeah, um, for sure, man. Early season scouting plays so many dividends, and it, it pays dividends in the early season and even in like um, uh, pre 
into October and, um, you know, even into November and into the rut, a lot of these deer will rut right around, you know, like you can start to map out their summer range to their winter range and where they like and where they're, where they're rutting does at. But yeah, man, that summer scouting for mule deer, there's just no better information that a guy can get is where those deer are. And man, it's, it's wild to, to watch them in that, that, that alpine behavior like that early season they just have such a lax attitude and so you can go in in july and find these big bucks and you can find their home range and where they like and they're way tougher to find even nowadays in september during the bow seasons or or then you know into october like they're way tougher to find but to know where they live and know where they like you can go in there and relocate those deer like i've had scouting trips to different really good muley units where i'll scout over a hundred bucks in there and then i get in there in september like uh september 5th or september 7th and all the bucks are moving to secondary living and i've gone to those exact same spots where i've glassed over a hundred bucks and all of a sudden, I can't even find a buck. But I know they were there in the summer, and so I start looking down, you know, and still gnarly country, but a 1,000 feet off the tops, 1,500 feet off the tops, using this information and knowing these 100 bucks were living up here, like they're not too far away. They've got to be in here somewhere. And I just start dropping down off these spur ridge lines, and pretty soon I start turning up all these bucks I had scouted. But sitting on top for two days, I could hardly find a buck where I had seen a hundred of them. And so that scouting, it just tells you where those bucks are living, where uh, those those bucks prefer. They're easier to find with their red coats. And so scouting is like one of the best ways to kill big bucks. And I know a lot of my big archery bucks have came from scouting the unit and knowing it. Or if it wasn't from scouting the unit, sometimes it's from like previous year's knowledge of hunting bucks in basins and knowing they live in there and then going in there and hunting those drainages that i know you know bucks prefer and live in man but you know just around every corner like you're making the right moves you talked about that effort it takes so much effort and drive to be scouting in the summer it takes so much effort and drive to go the one opening day and to sleep in your truck and then to go like you're constantly putting forth your effort and so like it was the way you started the conversation with if even if you don't have this knowledge base, even if you don't uh, have anything else but determination and put forth this effort, any extra effort to go check things out. And, and hunting can be discouraging. You can get into a place where you think there's going to be bucks or think there's going to be bulls and there's nothing. And then you have to reevaluate and come up with another game plan. And, you know, the 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 individual that doesn't have this strong mental fortitude you know it's easy to give up or to stop putting forth that effort or to take the easy road or to hike out or to give it like like you had mentioned earlier like a half-ass effort instead if you just look at this thing it just like anything i can do like how important are your goals and your dreams to you and killing a mature buck okay i'm gonna put in the time training in the gym like you do i'm gonna put in the time scouting once season gets here i'm gonna give it my all and each and every day you have to give it your all and go for it. it's like um man that moose hunt like 30 some days of hunting moose there was a lot of days where i didn't see moose and the majority of those days not seeing a mature bull you know like probably 29 out of the 30 you know but you just have to keep going and keep putting forth this effort keep this mental fortitude keep making all those little moves and little adjustments like keep thinking and keep theorizing and if if you do that like uh uh the impossible becomes possible like this 
this this this mission to arrow an animal, you keep putting forth the effort. It's amazing how many times it comes together, and you're just proof of that of like really dedicating yourself the last few years and like looking at these hunts and trying to do everything in your power to to learn about them, to learn and hone your skills with your weapon. And dude, this could be a different story where I have you on the podcast and you had nailed this big buck down and then you missed your shot. Like you also have to be clutch when you're shooting both your rifle and your bow, which you proved this year. Like you are doing all the little things and working on all these different skill sets. And that's why you're seeing that success. You know, it's like, um, Man, you can you can almost draw a roadmap, and if you just keep taking the more difficult path, like you just keep putting forth that effort, and you keep believing, and you work on all these different skill sets, man, um, it you, you can make your dreams a reality, just like you've done the last few seasons, and this last season was sure a heck of a season, you know, like uh, killing that California buck is uh, amazing, what a deer, and then a couple elk, and then I think you even had another deer or two under your belt as well, like a... Uh, uh, man, that's next level success for Western hunting. That is not easy to obtain and not easy to obtain, uh, you know, coming from a state like California where you don't get a lot of hunting experience, where it is tougher hunting and the tougher the hunting and less, uh, less animals you get into, the less experiences you have, the slower your growth is going to be. But you, you put yourself out there going to these different states and these different hunts and you you make the most out of your home state of California and you you've just grown so much in the last few years man it's just so impressive to see and to watch and it's just um that's why I wanted you on the podcast it's just like um man just to show that that anybody can do it with this this effort and this dedication and determination that anybody can kill a trophy bull or a trophy buck and anybody can turn themselves into a consistently successful hunter i mean there's guys that have been working at their craft for 20 years that haven't obtained or accomplished what you've done in the last few seasons and, and it's just due to to the work that you're putting in and and uh uh, the dedication to the craft of working on all these different skill sets, man. It's, um, man, it's amazing to see. Yeah, man. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. I'm kind of just sharing the highlight reel. I also had another hunt where I didn't see a buck for five days. <laughs> another hunt where I didn't see a deer for four days. Uh, Yes, that stuff happens yeah. to all of us, right? <laughs> like, it it isn't just yeah. magic where we just go in there and find a shooter buck. You're right. You're talking about the highlights. There's a a whole another half or three quarters of the season where you didn't see things, you know. So yeah, and I think it's important that you mention that, like a hunt where you didn't see. Would you say not a buck in four or five days and not a deer five in days, five yeah. days? Yeah, man, that's yeah. that no. is tough hunting. It's tough to keep your mental resolve when a hunt turns that way, isn't it? Dude, yeah, it is how I stay in it is I constantly move. So every day is like a new day as opposed to if you're hunting the exact same stuff, unless you're hunting a giant deer, but if you're hunting the exact same stuff every day for five days and not seeing something, I think that plays a pretty big toll compared to when every day is a new basin. Every day is a new vantage. Um, that's how I do a lot of the out of state hunts and, it kind of just, when it's tough, it just, it keeps you in it, dude. You're moving camp middle of the day, so you're still doing things. You have the evening and morning glassing sessions at a new spot every day. You're just staying, like, persistent, but also busy um, to where you feel like you're still working towards a goal as to, like, this is totally fruitless effort, right? To me, it's not. I'm just like, 
we'll see if they're at the next spot or the next spot or the next spot. Yeah. So, um, it was, it was in Idaho. Um, and yeah, so we go to this spot, picked out on the map. First thing, it wasn't opening morning. The season had been open, but so our first morning there with my buddy, we glass up a sweet buck, nice four by four. It would be his biggest buck. So first thing opening morning, we get over there. He kills this buck and dude, we think we got it dialed in. So we get his buck packed up and I'm like, sweet, let's go to the next base and dude, we'll see what's in the next base. And his buck was with three other bucks though. I just, I wanted something else, right? They were just more smaller bucks. So dude, we go from base into base and camp to camp for five days and aren't seeing anything, dude. I'm like, I'm never coming back to this unit again, <laughs> but I'm going to hunt it. Like I'm still going to do the seven day hunt that I planned. Right. So, but after this hunt's over, I'm never coming back. And, uh, but sure enough, our, I don't know what it was, fourth or fifth camp, something like that. And, uh, uh, just new area, new basin, new spot to glass. And so it's like, I don't even know what it was, dude. Early in the season, I glass up six does on an all out sprint running across this hillside. And I'm like, what in the hell? I'm like, dude, there's got to be a wolf. Well, that's what I'm thinking, right? So I watch them forever, and I just see more deer. They're they're far, dude. I can just make out that they're deer, and I'm assuming they're does. And there's just deer filing out of this green timber patch out into this burn. And I'm like, I don't see any predators. And I'm like, the only reason they would run like that is if they were getting chased by something. And I'm like, maybe they're getting chased by bucks. I pull my spotter out, dude, and there is two big bucks in a all out rut on these does dude and it, it ain't november i'll tell you that much and i'm like what in the hell dude they're running these does ragged on this hillside and um i, I couldn't believe it but i'm like dude, they're far it was such an effort to get over i've never put in that much effort to go make an opportunity never so, so last these bucks are i'm a, a huge drainage dude if if it wasn't 1,500 feet, it was 2,000 feet down. Super steep. I was actually just messing around on Google Earth. It was a 70% incline and decline. So I was like, because I was just checking slopes on where I could hike in future areas. And I'm like, okay, I know I can hike 70 because that's what that was. And uh, so anyway, so me and my buddy are sitting there. It's such an effort. You really have to sit there and think and i just we we're sitting there and he's like dude i'm down for whatever this this dude's a stud and uh, i was like i mean we're here for bucks there's two bucks let's go like it'll either get dark or we'll we'll kill them it'll either get dark while we're over there and we'll just hike back or we'll go over there and we'll kill one so sure enough dude it was almost three hours to go down and back up to where these bucks were got set up on like a little outcropping where I could start picking that area apart. And, um, I can't find them. And this is the only spot I'm really going to be able to see them from. So I'm like, okay, we're just going to sit here. And, uh, my buddy picks up a doe coming out of the green timber patch where all these deer initially came from before they ran across the hillside. I put my spotter over there and I see a nice four side. And I'm like, Dude, there's so few deer. I couldn't imagine that there was a third buck, right? So I saw two two bucks for sure. 
and I was like, there's no way there's a third buck, like a third mature buck. No way. I haven't seen a single buck in five days. So anyways, I put my spotter on him for about four seconds and I see this big, nice four side. And I'm like, it's got to be that big four by four. Lay down. Kill this buck. Dude, we're freaking pumped. And uh, get over there to where the buck is. And it's a totally different buck, a third mature buck. He's smaller than the first two but dude i didn't even care at this point it was so much effort we were just we were pumped but yeah so five days without seeing a buck and then the effort to kill that buck was insane me and my buddy were both like well it's pretty cool to know that you can actually do this and have it come out successful just to put in that much effort to go just see if you can kill one and uh and have it pay off but yeah that was a i mean that was a brutal hunt because you're it isn't like a driving around hunt, not seeing bucks. Like we're moving camp. We're climbing huge peaks to get vantages and just not turning up anything. And then the day before the last day, there's a buck, but they're not close. They would still have to put in another crazy amount of effort. Um, so we went over there, got that buck cut up, packed him back to camp. I want to say like from the time we left camp to the time we got back to camp, was like an eight-hour ordeal. So it was eight hours from when we glassed the buck and started making a move on him. So, and he was uh, just a nice buck, nice mature buck. He's actually pretty cool. He's, he got heavy, like more towards his top than his bases. I'm still getting him aged. I think he's got a little age on him. But um, so we come back to camp. It's almost dark. We're in like three and a half miles. And I was just like, dude, we're not going to be able to sleep here like we might as well just pack up camp and this buck now and just get out of there so then uh we just hiked out in the dark and that was our another successful hunt so that was me and him for three years in a row we've got uh we've each killed a buck on that same hunt that we've been doing in different units good for you man yeah that's no easy feat it um it is tough to keep yourself up and keep putting forth effort. I, I'm like you where I like to be mobile. If if I'm not seeing deer the bucks I want, I'm just not gonna hang around looking for a ghost. Like I could just gotta keep moving, keep looking at new terrain and yeah, it um it, it may be my attention span or something. It's just my style of hunting. I just like it. And, you know, I've got fitness on my side where I can travel and move my camp and, and put on miles and elevation to go try to find bucks. So, yeah, if I'm not seeing them, I go try to find them. But good on you two. Like, just, um, man, like, keeping your mind right, keep putting forth effort, and then this monumental go to kill go kill a buck. Like, to me... Uh, you know, like I love being into them. I, I love getting the action and I love like big plays like that, like almost where you expand what's possible or like you, you look at it and it's so far and so big over there that you're not even sure if you can make it over there and go relocate that buck. Like the chances are pretty slim to go over there and kill that buck, but you just go anyways. Like you just put on so many miles and like almost uh, uh, push your comfort level or push, uh, your governor or what you think your you, is possible for yourself or what you think the miles that you can put on. And so I've always said that there's no buck too far, no bull too far. Like, uh, the farther, the better for me because, uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to expand what I think is possible, but yeah, man, it's, um, you had, a uh, a, a storybook, 
uh, season, you know, and and just the reason why is all the work that you put in and the growth you've had over the last few years, the effort you put in on these hunts, and it's possible for for anybody. And so now the work starts again, both for you and for I, for working towards next year's hunts, uh, getting our name in the hats, getting in the the applications to give ourselves a chance to hunt these good units, and starting to put another season together. But it's a it's a beautiful thing and a beautiful journey and. Um, I know you have that same love for it and passion that I do. So, man, it's time to uh, start the clock over and get after it again. But I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on the podcast, Steve, and um, just uh, how pumped I am for you for your uh, continued success, man. It's just awesome. So where can guys follow along? Oh, dude, I appreciate it. I always love talking to you. I love talking to everyone that loves hunting, <laughs> you know, that's passionate about it. It's, it's fun. Um, I just have an Instagram uh, just Steve Evans with, with some underscores in between each one. I, I couldn't really remember it. Um, that's what I got to use, some underscores. Evans. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, go check out uh, your bucks and your bulls from this season. Again, just a storybook season, dude. Um, way to work. And, yeah, uh, come back on the podcast. Talk to me again. Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah, we. it's been a while. Yeah, a lot of, lot of progression since the last one, so it's been fun. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, um, thanks, buddy. I appreciate you. And, um, yeah, we'll uh, keep in touch and talk soon. All right, man. Sounds good. Okay. Right on, man. Killed it, huh? Yeah, that was yeah, that was, that was fun, dude. I love talking about hunting. <laughs> that was With super fun. People. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah, it's way different than the first one we did, right? Yeah. Yeah, the first one was after my first season, mm-hmm. which was still – dude, I – Every season, I'm like, there's no way it can get better. And I think every year it has. Like, some type of a goal has been accomplished. Um, you know, personal goal anyways. Like, this year was first bull with a bow, and I ended up getting two of them. And then just, and then I killed my biggest buck, and that was here in California. Even though the freaking two Idaho bucks, dude. I didn't want to talk about them too much. But, uh, yeah, they were hammers. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, but I... Just, I didn't think there was going to be a third one over there, so I didn't even assess the situation really. Just, but I mean, shit, you got to be happy with what you got. So I was still happy with them. Um, but yeah, still definitely not going back to that unit. <laughs> <laughs> there are some tough units there in Idaho for sure. I've had some tough hunting there too. Tough units everywhere, really. You know, but uh, yeah, yeah some really of those is. units. Uh, that backcountry in Idaho is really tough to hunt. It's so big, and the deer are so few and far between that I. I kind of I like hunting at late season. I get some good hunting in late season with my bow when they come out on the winter range. So I've kind of transitioned to that in Idaho. Um, but yeah, man, um, yeah, just a, a a great season and great effort, man. It was really fun to like share that on the podcast. So uh, that'll resonate with the audience for sure. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was awesome, dude. I'm already got. I already have damn near my whole 2023 planned out already. I already have all the tags I want. Gonna, just got to do it again. Oh, good for you. Yeah, it's nice when you have yeah. some uh, easy-to-draw tags or over-the-counter stuff where you can then kind of fill in and try to draw some premium. But, um, yeah, it's nice to always know that you have something to go hunt the next season. Yeah, that's how, like, the, so those elk hunts, dude, I didn't plan them. I'd picked, uh, I just picked random dates for that I had open, so early September, and I just – elk like i didn't i really didn't think anything of it so 
I don't have like these extravagant draw, uh, like future plans or anything, dude. I just, I do all the over the counter tags and then I put in for hard stuff and that's kind of is what it is. Oh, I have one more hunt coming up. I got an archery deer in New Mexico next month. I drew a late season tag. Oh, right on. Uh, what unit you got? Uh, it's 24. Okay. I've never hunted 24. I haven't heard. Yeah, I haven't heard anything great about it, but I haven't heard anything bad about it. And then I talked to, I've talked to dudes that did the rifle hunt. They said it sucked. And then I talked to some dudes that did the archery hunt, the late rut hunt, and they said it was fun. So I'm like, well, I guess I'll go find out for myself. Cause it was either that or do Arizona again. Right. Cause the, the dates kind of overlap. So I'm like, I don't even know if this New Mexico hunt's worth it because I already have Arizona kind of figured out. But then I was like, ah, shit, I'll go. I, people said that they've seen a decent amount of bucks. So I'll go do that and give Arizona a break. Yeah, there's some good hunting in New Mexico. I love it there, too. I've just never hunted that 24. But, yeah, I'm sure you'll find some decent hunting. Yeah. Did you uh, Did you get an Arizona tag? No, I did not. Dude. No. That's going to be tough, man. Yeah, I just got to get my head down and um, get some work done. It's been a heck of a season, but yeah, I just can't swing a January hunt this year. Get my family in this house, and I'll be able to get back to it and hunt next season. So um, yeah, it'll all work out. But yeah, I've got to, I've got to. It's well, they honest. changed all the the tag system over there. I like, know. So it, there's right? only two thousand non-resident tags. You got to buy them at midnight. It's like yep. damn. Yep, I saw that. Yep, no, it's yeah. um, getting tougher and tougher to get tags. Guys got to work pretty hard at it to make sure that you set yourself up. And then, you know, when you do draw hunts, you just spend more time hunting, you know, those tags or whatever. And so, you know, it's take, you know, I've had to adapt a little bit, but yeah, I mean, guy can guy can still hunt some pretty good places. Dude, uh, like I, you say it all the time, like the heydays are over we're in the heydays and i feel the same way it's like just we make are. just it is what it is dude you could still get tags you just have to research it a little bit more there's still good deer around um i mean shit my biggest buck to date is the one i just killed but i i feel like if i just i'll slowly progress i'll find bigger deer i'll kill bigger deer I'm, it just takes time and effort Dude, that's exactly it. Well, um, Steve, thanks again, man. Um, I got to run here and go get some work done. Um, but yeah, I really appreciate. It. We'll we'll release this here in a couple weeks, and um, you're the man. Keep killing it and keep in touch. All right, All right dude. Good talking to you. You too. Okay. Bye. All right. Later. All right, guys. That's a wrap. Fun podcast with Steve. Thanks for him to coming on, and um, thanks to him for coming on and sharing such um, great pertinent information into becoming consistently successful. Um, so thanks again to him, and thanks again to our sponsors. Uh, I want to thank Cryptech. I want to thank Savage. Um, I want to thank um, uh, Black Ovis and also Camo Fire and our new sponsor, Mountain Tough. Again, that uh, promo code for Black Ovis is Elevated10. And um, make sure to go check out Mountain Tough and their their fitness app. Uh, really proud to have them here as a new sponsor on the podcast. So um, let's show them some love there. I'm going to get some good workouts through those guys. And um, 
man, I mean, if anything, like my runs come easy to me. I do my upper body workouts, but you know, some of this, the, the CrossFit, I avoided it for so many years, you know, it's like you hear, Oh, prone to injury or, Oh, and I'm, I'm sure you can be, but God, it's such a, such a great tool for improving fitness and it just breaks up my runs. So I did, you know, uh, some CrossFit with my cousin, who's an instructor when I was back in Washington. And then I've just implemented it in my own workout. So, uh, some of these days where I'll do a short run, instead I'll do a CrossFit workout where I do sprints or I do uh, just rotating exercises. And so I think this um, Mountain Tough will be really good for me as it'll give me a new routine or new exercises I can do. And the app will just walk me through a good proven workout. Uh, so I'm really excited to um, start that. So uh, make sure to check out that, everything we're doing over at Eastman's. Uh, of course, you heard me talking about the house. I swear it'll be over here soon. So uh, I was talking on the podcast about it to Steve a little bit at the beginning. It's just uh, I can't help but talk about what's pertinent on my mind. But, um, man, it's taken everything for me uh, physically and mentally um, about, about exhausted. Um, but um, I'm just a few days away from moving in. Uh, got that that um, master shower all laid so now just working on the um, floor getting that and getting that crowded but I've had to be at a different job here the last couple days so working evenings over there uh, but getting so close I'm going to put another coat of finish on the floor and um, we're going to move in so um, I think we'll be moving in next week uh, still trying to wrap up some of the outside stuff but yeah just um uh, just working hard here to a finish or to a means to an end. I'm so excited to get into it. It's such a nice place, but, um, yeah, man, been a, been a ton of hard work, but, um, I'm there now so I can see the, see the finish line. Thanks so much to my, like my buddy, Dan Heverin, who's really helped me out, come down and help me work. And, um, you know, I've had help from the crew here and there too, uh, which has been huge. Um, but yeah, I'm nearing the end and I am so proud at how this house came out. So it's an absolute showpiece for me and, and, you know, not only a showpiece for me and Barney construction, but just what a great place to live for me and my family and puts us further ahead. So I couldn't be more proud at the, the work I've done and what I've accomplished. And now it's just getting back to, um, what I absolutely love to do, and that's Western hunting, training for it, and planning hunts for next year, and uh, hopefully some big, huge spring adventures. So uh, I'm super excited to kind of get my life back here. So uh, a few more days, and we'll get it out, and uh, just continue to bring you guys good podcasts. So thanks so much for the support. I appreciate you guys, and with that, I'll check in with you next week.